Hunter Camp songs and praise the Lord on eight little ones coming to the Lord. That is that is awesome. Um, well, good morning, everyone. You guys have a good week. Didn't get flooded away this this week. A little bit of thunder and lightning there, but it was it was a good one. Can you believe you're at the end of June already? Right, and school is just around the corner. <laughs> you know, it's it's coming. We'll be back before we know it. As we end the book of Colossians today, we see Paul's last words to these believers in a small, out-of-the-way town. It's funny if you actually look at uh, the map. Colossae used to actually be a huge trading port, uh, but then they built the road. They built a new road into Laodicea, and so everyone started going that way. And they kind of like, you know, what do you, history changes, right? You know, even walking through Elizabeth yesterday, you know, hearing about the railroad and how they were connecting, you know, New Orleans and all these other parts of the country to each other. And it's just like, you know, history changes, roads change, things change. But, you know, the encouragement from the word of the Lord never changes. You know, throughout this letter, we have seen his encouragement, encouragement to them, informing them to stand against falsehood, to live in the newness of life found in Christ alone. And believers in every age are tempted to draw the crowd, to be about entertaining the masses, or better yet, even winning the White House. But believers are called to aim for the Lord's cause the redemption of sinners. And that was a couple weeks ago when we were looking at the joy of the Lord, right? We talk about the glory of God and the holiness of God and the love of God, but do we talk about the joy of God? Right? The joy of God is to redeem sinners. The joy of Jesus is to take a sinner blamelessly before his Father and present them. And one day we get to experience that how cool is that to look forward to <clears throat> now the believer's aim should be this the church's aim should be this to be meek before the lord to give an answer to the world and with that mission of grace we also need grace <clears throat> for we understand this right we understand that in this world we will have trouble Right, tribulations will take place even before the great one. The great tribulation is not here yet. It will be here one day. It will last for seven years. But we still have trouble. We still have tribulation today. And anyone that wants to live for Jesus in our day and age will encounter some type of persecution. But we have our Savior and our Lord and our friend with us. And we can draw near to him in our hour of need and receive grace and mercy in our time of trouble. I love this part because God is not sending the believer, not sending the church into the world of darkness without anything, right? Well, he is with us, lo, until the end of the age. And what does he do? As Bryce read, he equips us with power to go out and be a witness throughout the entire world. Let's uh, open with a...
a word of prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for today. We praise you for those little ones that have trusted in you, Lord. And Lord, as they learn to walk with you and learn to read their Bible and encounter resistance from family members, friends, or even their community, Lord, that they would know that you are with them. That all believers would know that as we walk and as we endure, as we go through troubles and trials, that we would know that you are with us, Lord. That when we are alone, God is with us. That we do not have to fear or be dismayed, but know that we can hang on your promises, Lord. And as we go through the last portion of Colossians, thank you for this time of study, just an opportunity that we have to gather together and and read your word and understand it more and know you and know who we are without you and who we are with you. That in Christ we can live in the newness of Christ and outside of Christ we can know to repent and believe, to know that Jesus came to save sinners and that we can be in Christ by receiving him. And thank you for this day, Lord. Uh, be with us in our time of study. Help us not be distracted by all the things going on, all the busyness of life and summer and, and even the, the fun and, the, and all the work, but, Lord, that we can just fix upon your word for this moment. Thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, please uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 4. verses 10, 10 through 13. Paul writes this. Archesis, Archesis. I tried to enunciate that with Google and it, you know, I'm still just going to butcher his name. My fellow prisoner greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers of the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and High Hierapolis. So it's a fun one here. Yeah. It's the Greek names and then the Greek names of cities that you know are just exciting to say. Did we first meet Ar Archippus? Ar yeah, he is a prisoner with Paul. And he is mentioned in five verses of the New Testament. We actually find out that he is a travel companion of Paul's. He is from Macedonia, which is north 
of even modern day Greece and, and that ancient Near East time of Greece. And he is actually from the city of Thessalonica. It seems that the believers in Colossae knew him very well because in this letter and in the letter of Philemon, he greets the readers. So he, he knew the area and had most likely traveled with Paul through that area. <coughs> Next we meet and see John Mark. Mark is mentioned by name in nine verses of the New Testament, and he has actually called John in two verses of the book of Acts. We can actually see that he is named John Mark, like you know Saul, Paul, and others. They have dual names. He is actually the son of Mary, who actually hosted a house church, and it is actually her house that Peter's knocking on after the angel releases him from prison. Uh, that's actually her house. Uh, so we understand that John Mark is, is from Jerusalem. He's actually from Jerusalem. And as the story goes, Paul, Paul, Saul, and Barnabas had been sent there by the church of Antioch to give a gift, right? The brothers in Judea were going through famine and hard times, and Antioch was like, we're going to send a gift. Well, they you know, sent Paul and Barnabas. And as they returned from Jerusalem, they brought a young man named John Mark with them. Luke informs the reader of his dual name uh, twice, uh, whose name was also Mark, is actually the statement. And then if you miss that change, you'll, you'll not read chapter 13 knowing that he's actually in chapter 13 because he's, he's named, that's where his name is just John. And it tells, it tells the story of, of John Mark that he actually accompanied Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary trip. That's pretty cool, huh? You know, the first time they're called out, they're selected by the Spirit, and they're going to go out, and he goes with them to assist them. And he may have been a very young man. I always kind of imagine John Mark and, and John the Apostle as very, very young men. And, and most scholars kind of agree that uh, both... Jesus and Peter were most likely the two oldest of the group because they're the only ones paying the tax. So the others are probably a lesser age that they were not they were not taxed. So that's with John Mark. I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> so, but I knew that I knew that of of the Apostle John. And so he accompanied them to assist them. He wanted to learn. He left home on his first century internship, but it did not work out. If you take time, maybe even later today, and read Acts 13, you'll see that Paul and Barnabas actually deal with a false Jewish prophet that was a magician. So they probably saw some crazy things in Acts 13. Well, as they want to go on, after these events, John is recorded to have left them and gone home. He goes back to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas go on. They reach out to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, to let the good news be known, good news be known, and they go back to Jerusalem to deal with that first council, right? First council dealing with the Jews, or the, sorry, do the Gentiles need to follow the whole law of Moses? That's the question of the first century, right? And it's a resounding no, right? No, you are grafted into Christ. You, yeah, there's things that you need to be aware of, and then everyone rejoices. They have that that great victory. 
great moment in Acts 15, but it's recorded after all of that that Barnabas is wanting to take with them John called Mark. As we talked about a few weeks ago, this, this led to a sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. Both men's philosophy of ministry brought them to part ways right here. And we, we can see both, right? We can see that Paul was stoned, he was hated, he was hurt, but he was ready to go out again, right? He was ready to, to give his life for the man he met on the road to Damascus and was blinded by. You just have to read First and Second Timothy and Titus to see that he wanted people that stuck to their guns, held their positions, and worked hard. That was the Paul, right? The Barnabas, on the other hand, is introduced to us as the son of encouragement. He has a very different philosophy. He does not mind taking his time or even taking his land and giving it to the church. Barnabas is actually the man who sold his field and gave all the money to the church that started the whole thing in Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. And they lie to God, they lie to the Holy Spirit, and they die. It's interesting that if you look at Barnabas for a minute, when the other disciples were afraid of Paul because they literally did not believe he was a part of the church, that he was like sneakily trying to get in there to murder them all. Barnabas is the one that brought Paul before the apostles and before everyone and declared what had happened to him on the road to Damascus. Barnabas is doing the same thing with John Mark. He, he's doing it he, philosophically, right? You know, how we all think and work, and we're all built differently. And we see that in both Paul and Barnabas. That he wanted to take time to teach him. And so they start another mission agency and go off to Cyprus together. We can see actually from that mission trip that this man who struggled became a co-worker. Paul has given the Colossians notice that when John Mark comes to them, to welcome him. And we also see that this verse points out that Barnabas, John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. Paul tells Philemon that Mark is his co-worker. You know, that's, that's crazy that, not in this letter, but in the letter that most likely traveled with Colossians is that he is a co-worker. That, that Paul sees that he has come, that he is very useful. That's actually where we see that in 2 Timothy, at the end of Paul's letters, we see that Paul tells Timothy to get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. From the boy that ran back home, he grew into a man, he became a co-worker, and he became very useful. And Paul may have wholeheartedly, right, because he had a different mindset, disagreed with Barnabas's philosophy of ministry at the start. But at the end, he became very thankful for it because it rose up another to be a helper, to do what he came to do in Acts 13 to assist him. But then it, it took a while to become that. 
he became very thankful for it because we all we all need that, right? We all need those people that push forward like the Pauls. And then we also need those that are back behind to encourage, to bring up the ranks that are that are weary and tired, like Barnabas. Because in, in both of those fashions we get to see a person like John Mark. Totally. <laughs> we get to see a, a person like John Mark who accompanies Peter on his ministries and then writes a gospel from the eyewitness of Peter. From the Apostle Peter's very testimony is the gospel of Mark itself. And then we see this man called Jesus who is called Justice. There are two justices in the... <laughs> In the New Testament, there's a lot of justice in the New Testament, but two two guys named Justice. Uh, the one is actually the first uh, the first justice we see is in fact a disciple that is put forward to replace Judas. Uh, he has been with the group since the Lord's baptism by John, and he has witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, these are actually the qualifications for someone to take the place of ministry and apostleship of Judas. That that was the qualification. So if you ever meet an apostle today, you know, well, they weren't there for the baptism of John and they weren't there for the resurrection of Jesus. So they're definitely not one, right? Because those are the two qualifications of an apostle. So no one except for the, the 12 were there. And, and then Matthias, who was chosen. Uh, this uh, this could this could be him or it could be the second uh, justice uh, who is Titus Titus Justice he's a worshiper of God found in Acts 18 uh, who welcomed Paul into his ministry it welcomed Paul's ministry into his house uh, these people are all described as the only men of the circumcision right so they're they're part of the party of the circumcision but they're not the Judaizer Judaizers they're chasing Paul through the book of Acts trying to stone him and kill him and stop him because he's he's telling the gentiles they can just be saved and not not do all these other things but they are part of the circumcision among the fellow workers of the kingdom of God and they have been a very have been a comfort to me I, I lean to the Acts 18 justice Mainly because, as he's found in Acts 18, we see uh, here in Acts 18, 5 through 7, if you want to flip over there, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was accompanied with the word, occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews and that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, you are blood beyond your own heads. I am innocent. For I am now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Now they were of the circumcision, right? The circumcision. <laughs> and they became fellow co-workers. They understood the grace of God was open to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And a lot of people in Asia Minor were happy that that had happened because they understood that there was a dividing line. There was something that, that was available but was kind of kept at bay. But then the news of Jesus came out. It's like, yeah, there, there, were, 
people that attached themselves to the Jewish religion and were seeking the one true God. But this man became a fellow co-worker and understood the grace of God was open to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Epaphras, we learned next, we have learned about him and saw him when we were first starting the letter. We saw that he was a beloved fellow servant, a faithful minister on the behalf of the Colossians. He most likely is the one that actually traveled to Rome to find Paul to tell them this falsehood is creeping everywhere. This, this thing is going everywhere. This, this doctrine of depra uh, depraved doctrines were going out. And that's what led to the letter of Colossians and what the apostle deals with in chapter 2, that none of these philosophies, all these different things mixing together would hold them at bay but that they would live in the newness of life found in Christ. He is also a fellow prisoner of Paul. Paul tells the believers in Colossae that Epaphras greets them, right? They, they know him and that he's always struggling on their behalf and prayer that the church would stand against falsehood knocking at the door. Paul states this, he says that you may stand mature and fully assured of all the will of God. That the gathered up believers would be built up and established in their faith and not give in to the vain and empty philosophies, but rest in the finished work of Christ upon the cross and live in light of that amazing truth and that amazing grace that we find is everything else is just chains. That is where true freedom is in Jesus. And Paul bears witness to this about Epaphras, that he works hard for those three churches in the area, Colossae, Laodicea, which is actually what right, we know of them because of the book of Revelation. They're actually written to in the book of Revelation. And then Hierapolis, which is the main trade town now. Colossae used to be, but Hierapolis is now the main trade town. Epaphras was from there, right? Colossae was his hometown. And this list of co-workers of Paul might, might be like, oh, geez, like, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting. You know, maybe you find that interesting, maybe it's not. <laughs> but, but it gives us an amazing ability to have gratitude for all the different views of ministry, the whole the different working parts of ministry because there's a lot of ground to be covered in ministry and the truth is in, in ministry we need grace and we need to be grateful for each other and we need to be thankful that there is faithfulness in that ground being covered and work hard for the saints and for the sinners, right? Paul continues in Colossians chapter 4 and verses 18 and 19, writing this. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when the letter has been read, and when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of Laodicea and then see you also read from Laodicea and say to Archippus, 
See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul continues with the conclusion of the letter. Luke is the next companion he he comes to. And Luke uh, greets the believers in Colossae. Uh, Luke is actually mentioned by name in the New Testament three times. Uh, He is a fellow co-worker of Paul. Uh, And at one time in Rome, every other co-laborer had gone out somewhere. Been probably sent out by Paul to go (laughs) encourage the churches. And Luke is the only one that remains with them. It's recorded in 2 Timothy 4.11. Then we see from this verse of Colossae, he is actually Colossians. He is actually a beloved physician. Uh, Most people looking at Luke actually see that he is a very studied man. Uh, he's, uh, He's about the truth. And actually, if we turn over in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we see uh, probably one of the most detailed literary introductions to a book ever. But Luke chapter 1. In in Greek, like it's one of the more beautiful passages, opening passages in Greek uh, in history. Uh, Luke writes this, In as much as many have undertaken to compel a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the world have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Philotheles, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. See, Luke is a very detailed writer, right? He he wants his readers to know right away. He went to the eyewitnesses. He studied it. He wrote an orderly account to bring certainty about the faith. Luke starts it off, right? John waits until like chapter 21 to tell you, hey, I write all of this so you may believe, right? So they even their writing styles are, are different. But just he wants to bring about the certainty of faith. See, Luke actually writes the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And he wasn't just compiling information. He actually was a part of the mission. Uh, The introduction of the book of Acts states this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he gave commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke took time to write about the truth. He joined Paul and his co-laborers. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 16, you actually see the moment when Luke uh, joins Paul and his companion, his co-workers. keep on wanting to say entourage but these guys weren't out there like partying and having a good time they're they're co-laborers right you know they're they're laboring for the lord in the field and it's a uh, act 16 
of verses 9 and 10 state this, And when a vision appeared to Paul at night, a man from Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It totally changes. And there's another portion in the book of Acts where it had kind of switched back to an outside view. And then you can see that Luke actually joins them and is there again through the through it. But the, the author had joined the group. The author is actually a part of the group going into Europe for the first time as the gospel is shared in Europe. Uh, Paul moves on to, to Demas. Um, Demas is, is mentioned three times by name in the New Testament. He greets the believers in Colossae and in the letter of Philemon. And then he is written about in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says this about him. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. See, Demas had been a fellow worker of Paul. At the time of the writing of Colossae, yeah, he was a fellow worker. He was hard at work. But he had fallen in love with what the world offered. And this made me think of what Paul had told Timothy back in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 before he talked about what happened to Demas. He says this, he says, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. See, I looked at that and I thought about this, that you know, what happened to Demas can happen to anyone in ministry. For in any conflict, the first casualty is truth. Right? That's why learning, you know, if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling afraid to know, right? Little ones, big ones, old ones, everybody, uh, you know, God is with you. Because the first thing that the enemy wants to tell you is that, no, he's not. No, you're a failure. No, you're this. You're that. And it's like, no, you're this. Imago Dei, you're created in God. And, and if you're redeemed in him, you're even more your new creation in Christ. For behold, the old is gone and the new has come, right? The first casualty is truth, and then communication is cut with their allies. And in that, surrender seems like it's the only option. It's the best, right? Eh, white flag, we're done. <laughs> Peace out. Go enjoy some popcorn and some video games. Don't deal with this anymore. That sounds fun, right? <laughs> but the worthy cause is this, to aim to please we need to hear Paul here to share in the good sufferings, to, not in the good sufferings, sorry, to share, to share in the sufferings as a good soldier. Well, what does a good soldier need to know? He needs to know, they need to know the truth. The truth that even if we feel alone in ministry or in life in general, we know that if we rest in Christ, He is with us. And that's an amazing 
truth and an amazing grace that we all need, no matter what part of life we are in. He is with you. And abide in Him. You know, every, every Sunday it seems, right? And how do you abide in Him? Right? In His Word and in prayer. Know Him. Don't get entangled. Right? Don't, don't pursue the wrong things. Don't fight the wrong battles. Surrender is not the only option in life and work and in ministry. We need to know Him, right? We need to know the One that came to be slain for sinners. And we need to know that He has the victory, right? He holds the keys. And He who holds the keys is in charge, right? Oh, Dad's going to the car. We better get out there, right? you, know? you know? Our aim is not to please ourselves, the crowds, the critics, but Christ. That's it. It's a pretty nice standard, right? There's only one. Paul instructs the Colossian believers to do this. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when the letter has been read among you, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read at the church of Laodicea. And see also that you read the letter from Laodicea. See, Laodicea was about 9.3 miles. I even Googled it. I was like, I want to know. 9.3 miles northwest of Colossae. And I'm like, hey, you know, that's not, you know, from here, from Simla to Matheson, that's not a bad comparison. And if you put us all in a triangle, you know, if there's like three churches in the area, there you go, you know, that's a good setup. They were told by Paul to greet those believers over there for him. You know, these, these churches were very, very close, and Paul wanted Nympha, the woman who had a church meeting in her house, most likely the, the church of Laodicea met in her house, and the believers of Colossae to read this letter and then to read the letter that Paul had sent to them. Because the falsehoods, right? The falsehoods were, were tempting Colossae. They were most likely growing up and, and spreading into the whole area of Laodicea and Hierapolis. That they can be combated with the truth of who Christ is in Scripture. You yeah, ever dealing with false teachings and everything, know the truth, right? Spotting a fake ID, know what a real one looks like. You know, you know what truth looks like and you can look at other things and say you know that just doesn't sound like Jesus over there but yeah yeah this is Jesus that over there is not you know there's mention of this this letter right and you can get on Google and they have all these theories and everything and it's like no this is this is it this is the verse in the Bible that we know that Paul wrote a letter he most likely wrote quite a few letters that were not canonized because they were not Scripture. They were not breathed out by God. They, they were letters like what we have from the first century church that are yeah, good for teaching and, and different things to look at, but they're not Scripture. They're not breathed out. 
Paul ends his letter to the Colossian believers with this. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Archippus is mentioned twice in the New Testament. Here and in Philemon, because Philemon is in Colossae as well. We see that he is encouraged to fulfill his ministry that he has received from the Lord. Right? In any any ministry, anything that the Lord has called you to, to work, to raise a family, to be about this or that, you aim to please Him, right? As we talked about family, as we talked about work, and as we talk about ministry and life, it's an aiming to please Jesus. Period. Right? All the other fluff is the stuff that we complain about <laughs> and, and have a hard time with. But pleasing Jesus, being right in relationship with Him and knowing this is what the Lord wants me to do and be about it is grand Archippus as we see in Philemon is a fellow soldier and a co-laborer most uh, people debate back and forth of whether Archippus was the um, pastor in Colossae some people think it's Epaphras but I I think he's more of like the regional guy that's kind of you know about all three and Archippus is, is the pastor. That's kind of where I, I land on that because you know, either way, Paul's encouraging him to fulfill his ministry for the man to continue. Just like he encouraged all the believers to continue steadfast. When Paul writes this greeting with his own hand, he says, most scholars believe by by this how he ends his letters like that uh, if you go and read like the end of Romans you'll see this you'll actually see that he writes with his own hand uh, because most people think the thorn in his side is blindness and he, he couldn't see very well anymore uh, Paul actually had a secretary that wrote the entire book of Romans in Romans 16.22 he says I t- Tertius yeah whatever <laughs> who wrote this letter greet you in the Lord right so there's this under secretary guy that is writing Paul Paul writes this remember my chains grace be with you now if you go back all the way to the beginning of Colossians we see that the letter started with grace and it ends with grace and that's what we need all of us sinners need the grace of God and the call goes out repent and believe goes out to the whole world to see and behold the lamb slain for sinners and to those that have received Christ the call goes out to walk in the newness of life found in Christ by grace to go forward in that because it is by unmerited favor right it is by unmerited favor that we can walk with God now and await dwelling with him forever by unmerited favor we can seek to be heavenly minded now 
and by unmerited favor we can know that the Lamb has atoned for the sins of the world and we can speak that truth with grace and love until we breathe our last. Well, let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, we thank you for today. <coughs> thank you for everything that you have given us, Lord. Thank you as we kind of character study these few last people in the book of Colossians, just seeing their story and seeing how you use them. May that encourage us to know that whether we're on the front lines, whether we're on support, whether we're on prayers, prayer duty or, or wherever you have us in life, Lord, from flipping burgers to working to, to being retired to, to anything and everything that we can be about aiming to please you, Lord. Help us be a good soldier, even in our struggles, that we would aim to please you and not be entangled with worldly things, but to be a co-laborer, to be faithful to what you have called us and to be just like as Archippus is called to fulfill what you have given us, Lord, to be about it, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your grace found in Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.